turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the, the life of Abraham. We began last week by looking at this man's call to faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse number 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. That's basically what faith is. Faith is trusting obedience. Faith is believing absolutely in all that God said and behaving accordingly to all that God said. That's what true saving faith is. And so here was Abraham, called by God, obeyed the true and living God. And last week we talked to you about the call of faith. How the call of faith is a very personal call. God came to Abraham. The Bible says that the God of glory, Acts 7, verse number 2, appeared to him. And so out of the brilliant splendor of his majesty, the Lord would call Abraham. It was a very personal call. And we told you last week that you need to understand that the, the call of faith always commences with God. He calls, we obey. Not only does it commence with God, but it always comes through the gospel of God. How does God call us? Well, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing about a word concerning the Christ. James 1.18, we have been born again through the, the truth of God's holy word. So that which commences with God comes only through the gospel. And that which comes to the gospel is conceived by grace, Galatians 1, verse number 6. And that which is conceived by grace is always clarified by good works, Titus 2, 11 to 14, Ephesians 2, verse number 10. We are his workmanship. We have been created unto good works. We are saved by grace through faith, but those good works clarify the grace that we have received. And then that call compels us to be grateful. Psalm 103, 1 to 4. We can't help but give thanks to the true and living God. And that call then commissions us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's how you know you've received the call from God. That was evidenced in Abraham's life. This call to Abraham, this call of faith, was a very personal call. But it was also, we told you last week, a very predetermined call, right? It was predetermined in eternity past that God would call Abraham. We told you last week that God didn't just look around the earth and think, okay, who can I, who can I use to be a father of this great nation that I'm going to create? No, Abraham was his sovereign choice from the very beginning of time. It was a predetermined choice, a predetermined call, like your call and mine. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before time ever begins. God predetermines that call. That's why it's so personal. But on top of that, we told you it was a purposeful call, right? Abraham's call was very purposeful. God didn't call him and say, hey, you know, hope things work out well for you. No, I called you for a purpose. You're going to be a father of a great nation. And I'm going to use you to make sure that my people understand my Messiah. So the call for Abraham was a very purposeful call because God calls us to use us for his glory and for his honor. 
We told you also that it was a very painful call for Abraham. There were deserts to cross with all kinds of difficulties and dangers. There was so much discomfort in that call to move a thousand miles from Ur of the Chaldees to a place called Canaan. Very difficult travels. But all throughout Abraham's life, if you were to be a, a student of the book of Genesis, if you want to go back and, and look at all the series we did on the life of Abraham in Genesis, you can. He faced all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of hardships. Always, when he got to the land of Canaan, there was a great famine that arose. As soon as he arrived, you would think that having traveled a thousand miles, he'd be able to rest on his laurels for a while. But no, he got there, and a famine arose in the land. And thus began, began the, the painful episodes in Abraham's encounter throughout his life. The biggest difficulty he faced was having to wait for the promised seed, having to wait 25 years before Isaac was born. That was his biggest pain. He had to keep waiting and waiting and waiting. Such a, such a pain that he and Sarah took matters into their own hands, thinking that they could birth the seed. But no, it doesn't work that way. God's in charge. And so the call of Abraham, like your call and mine, right? It's a very personal call. It's a predetermined call. It's a purposeful call. It's a painful call. For all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But not only that, the call of God upon Abraham's life was a very, very precious call. Think about this. Having been called by God to work for the kingdom of God. It doesn't get any more precious than that. There are a lot of things that we can do, a lot of places that we can work, but to work for the king of kings as a child of the living God is the highest calling a man can ever have. And so it was a very precious call. But on top of that, you must understand, it was a permanent call. It wasn't for a call for a while. It was a permanent call. It was a forever call. God made a covenant with Abraham, an everlasting covenant with Abraham, an unconditional covenant with Abraham. Just like your call and my call is a very permanent call. For Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. But understand this, the call of Abraham was a powerful call. When God took Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan, idolatrous city and country, he transformed the man's life and took him from idol worship to serving the one true God, the living God. And so, therefore, it was a very powerful call because he took him from the kingdom of darkness and placed him in the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. And only God can do that. And when God saves a man, that's why the Bible calls us a new creation. Not the same as we were before. God does a mighty work. That's the call of faith. And that's why we left off with, by faith, when Abraham was called, 
obeyed. But I want you to notice this morning with me the course of faith, the consequences of faith, and then the contemplation of faith. We'll cover three points today. Hebrews 11, verse number 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This gives us the course of faith. Once you've been called by faith into the kingdom of God, there is a course that transpires. And that course falls into two categories. One, submission, and two, separation. One, submission, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien. One is separation, one is submission. As an alien, he is separate from the country in which he lives. And because he obeyed, he was submissive to what God had called him to do. Now think about this. Abraham was called by God when the glory of the Lord appeared to him, Acts 7-2. And we know from Psalms 27, that the glory of the Lord thunders, and the Lord would call him to go to a place that he had no idea where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going, and yet he was submissive to the call of God in his life. He could have debated the call. He could have argued with God about the call. He could have said, Lord, I'm not going to take my, my family and, 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 and my wife and, and make this journey how do I know where I'm going to go? Where, where will I rest? Where will I sleep at night? What will I eat? Lord, how, how is all this going to work itself out? What does this mean? No, he simply obeyed. Now think about that. He didn't want to debate with God concerning what God had called him to do. He simply submitted to the call of God in his life. Because submission is the course of faith. Everything about faith is about following the Lord God, right? Think about it this way. Remember Peter, James, and John? When the Lord called them to himself, he says, come. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they dropped their nets and followed the Lord Jesus. Why would anybody do that? What do you mean, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men? They, they, had to, they had to separate themselves from their father, from their future, from their finances, because fishing was their business. But they followed by faith, because faith obeys. Faith is submissive to the call of God. And that's the course of our entire life, learning to submit to all that God says in his word. That's why the Lord said, if any man came after me, then deny himself. Take up his cross and what? Follow me. Christianity is an invitation to follow Christ. That's what we do. We follow Christ. He is our master. He is our king. He is the one that we depend upon. 
And so we follow Christ. I love what it says back in the book of Revelation, the 14th chapter, about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from every tribe who are marked specifically by God to protect them all throughout the tribulation. They don't die. They can't die because God protects them. It's an amazing story. It says in verse number four, these are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. It doesn't say they follow the Lord wherever he goes. It says they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now, the lamb is the apocalyptic name for our Lord in the book of Revelation 28 times. He's referred to as the lamb, right? But it's that reminder of sacrifice. He was the lamb that gave his life away. He was the lamb who willingly sacrificed his life for the sheep. That's why it says they followed the lamb because their whole life was a living sacrifice to the honor of God. That's the course of faith. It's all about submission. It's all about following the true and living God. You know, for the most part, we don't want to follow unless we know the end result. We don't want to follow unless we know what's going to happen in between. But Abraham, he was different. He heard the voice of God and followed. Now think about Abraham. Abraham had to wait for God to show up and speak before he knew what to do. He couldn't read the Torah because there wasn't the Torah at the time. He couldn't read, quote, the Bible. There was no Bible at the time, right? He had to wait for God to show up and speak. He didn't know what to do. And so God says, Abraham, go. So he leaves. Abraham waits. So he waits. Abraham stays. So he stays. He doesn't know what what to do next unless God tells him. He had to wait for God to speak. Good news, God's already spoken. You have to wait for God to speak. He's already spoken to you through his word. Remember that? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. God in these last days, last of what days? The last in which the days God was speaking, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We have before us the written, revealed word of the living God. We don't have to wait for God to show up and speak. He's already spoken. He has said everything that we need to know. That's why the Bible says, Proverbs 3, you know the verse, lean, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, he'll make your paths smooth. How do you know that in all your ways you're acknowledging the Lord? He's made your paths smooth, not rough. He makes the pathway smooth. But if you're not trusting in him, but you're leaning on your own understanding, you're going to have a rough patch. Stop leaning on what you think is right. Trust in what you know is right. The Lord God of Israel. That was Abraham. By faith, he obeyed. He was submissive to the call of God. And the whole course of his life was learning how to submit to everything that God said. Same way it is for you and me, right? We have to learn to submit to God. 
Because there are times that we want to we debate with God and argue with God and wonder what God is doing. We don't know why this tragedy happens over here, or we don't know why I lost my job over there, or I don't know why I, I'm able, not able to make this squad or that team. I don't know all the answers to those things. God says, trust me, believe in me, wait up on me, and watch and see what I do. Our God's in charge. So we trust him. And that's what Abraham did. The course of faith is, number one, submission, and number two, separation. By faith, Abraham was an alien. He was a stranger. He was a pilgrim in a foreign land. He had to leave the place which he was born, or the Chaldees. He had to leave people, friends, family behind. He had to leave the practices of evil behind. He had to leave all those things because, you see, Christianity is not an addition to your present lifestyle. Christianity is a separation from your past lifestyle. You separate and live unto God because he makes you holy. He separates you unto his purposes for his glory. That's what God does. And Abraham had to learn to live as an alien and a stranger in a foreign land. The problem with us is that we, we just love this land too much. We love this world too much. He, he lived out, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes are part of life, because they're not of the Father, they're of the world, right? And the world's passing away and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Abraham lived that verse out before that verse ever existed because that's the way he lived his life, trusting God to do a great and mighty work. There was a life of separation. And that's what God has called us to. You know, sometimes God calls us to, to leave our families. We have a hard time with that. But remember what Christ said in the, in the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew, the 10th chapter, when he said these words, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Someone say, wait, time out, wait a second. What, what, is the Christmas story all about peace on earth, goodwill toward men? So what I mean, he, now he says he didn't come to bring peace. Well, he defines that for you. He says, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You know, sometimes God calls us away from our family. You say, wait, wait a minute, what about my testimony? What about the opportunity I had to present the gospel to them? Listen, you're not the end-all, be-all to the gospel presentation. So don't take too much for granted here. Remember, if God calls you, you move. You leave. You do what God's called you to do. Granted, we are testimonies to our families, and we should be. We should be a living testimony to the members of our household. 
But you know, when you live the life of faith, Christ says, I've come to bring a sword. I'm going to divide you from your family. Not because you're cantankerous and hard to get along with. It's simply because you love the Lord and they don't love the Lord. You love to follow the Lord and they don't love to follow the Lord. You want to do what God says and they don't want to do what God says. That's going to bring a division to your family. And sometimes we have to, not sometimes, all times, we have to side with the living God and do what he's called us to do. The life of faith is a a life of separation as well as a life of submission. So many times I I think that we have forgotten what God has, has called us to do. Remember what the Bible says in the book of Galatians, the first chapter. Paul says this, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. He has rescued us from this evil age. That's why James says in James 4, he who is a a friend of the world is an enemy of God. That's why James 1.27, James says, listen, true religion is this, that you keep yourself unstained from the things of the world, unspotted from the world. Why? Because it's detrimental to to your walk of faith. Abraham's whole life was a life marked by submission and separation. He had to model that with his family. He had to learn how to do that. He wasn't perfect at it. There were times he failed. Just like you and me, we're not perfect at it. There are times we're going to fail. But Abraham always came back and repented of where he was and what he needed to do for the true and living God. And that's the way we need to be. When we fail at doing what God's called us to do, we, we repent. We get right with the Lord. And we serve him. This is the course of faith. The call of faith, the course of faith, the course of faith is submission and separation. And now comes the consequences of faith. What what are the consequences, right? Well, think about this. We're, We're always asking the question, what's in it for me? We always ask that question, right? What is Christianity going to do for me? If I give my life to Christ, what do I get in return? Is there any benefit for me? That's the question we always ask. Peter asked that question. Remember when he asked the question of our Lord way back in, 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 in Matthew's gospel, the 19th chapter? Peter said to the Lord, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? See, Peter asked that question. Lord, we've left it all. We've left our family. We've left our fishing. We've left our future. We've left our finances. We've left everything for you. Now, what's in it for us? What do we get? So Jesus responds, truly I say to you that you have followed me in the, that you have followed me in the generation when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what you're going to get. The opportunity to sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal 
life. You see, what do you get out of Christianity? You get the only thing that matters. You get Christ. That's who you get. You get Christ. And, and to, to understand that is, is enormous. Because we're always thinking about what, I go, what am I going to get today or tomorrow? But the rewards of Christianity are in the next life, not this life. That's why Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now, is such heresy. If this is your best life now, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. Your best life is in the next life. And so God tells Abraham these words. He says, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. This is faith, the life of separation and submission. And I will make you a great nation. I have a plan. Here's the plan. You are going to be a great nation. Remember, when Abraham crossed the river, the word Hebrew means to cross, when he crossed the great river Euphrates, he became, for the very first time, a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile before he was ever a Jew. All Jews were Gentiles before they were Jews. That's good news. They don't like to hear that, but that's true. He was a pagan idolater. God called him. He crossed the river. Now he becomes a Hebrew. He's going to be the father of a great nation. It says, and I will bless you. I'm not just going to make you a great nation. I don't have just to have a plan for you. The plan includes a great blessing, and that is I am going to provide for you and make your name great. I'm going to promote you. We want to make our names great. Let God make your name great. If God wants to have you a great name, let him do it. But don't try to make a name for yourself. That's what they did in Genesis 11 in the Tower of of Babel. Remember that? They wanted to, to make a name for themselves. That's right out of the pit of hell. If you want to make a name for yourself, that's right out of Satan's biggest lie. Let God make a name for you if he wants you to have a name. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. He'll exalt you in his time. He tells Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. He says this, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow. Abraham, i got a great plan. Here it is. From you comes a nation, and from that nation you will be blessed. And not only will you be blessed, everybody who curses your nation I will curse. Everybody who blesses your nation I will bless. I'm going to make your name great. Abram, he tells him, but it all comes through a seed, a son that is yet to be born. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 15, Abraham says, or God says to Abraham, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. I am your very great reward. See, what do you get out of Christianity? You get God. I am your reward. If you were looking for another reward, you're going to be looking for a long, long time. I am your reward. And then he says this. He says, 
Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He will be your heir. Abraham's thinking, you know what? It's been 10 years and I have no son. Maybe Eliezer from Damascus. Maybe that will be the heir. That's the promise. God said, no, that's not how it's going to work, Abraham. Then it says, and he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He believed. Look at the stars, Abraham. Can you count them? Of course not. That's how your descendants will be. And then you come to Genesis chapter 17. Son's still not born. And it says, now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of multitudes. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. God says, wait, you've been waiting. You've been waiting 75 years. Nothing. And God says, I am your shield. I am your reward. Walk before me and be blameless. Continue to submit to me. Continue to live a life of separation. Continue to hear my word and follow, Abraham, and watch what I do. Now note, Abraham received Isaac. He received the blessing. Then he'd be called to sacrifice Isaac, Genesis chapter 22, right? Take now your son, your only son, the son that you love, not Ishmael. Take Isaac to a place I will show you, right? Again, he had to go by faith, didn't know where he was going. When you get there, you're going to sacrifice your son for me. Abraham lived the life of submission a life of separation. There was no city in Canaan that would steal the affections of Abraham. So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, these words. Hebrews 11, it says, he was looking for the city. It says down in verse number 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they had went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know what the unique thing is about the people in the hall of faith? They never received all that God had for them, but they believed that one day they would. They lived in anticipation of that city. They lived in anticipation of that country that they could not see with the physical eye, but could only see with the spiritual eye. And so therefore, God blessed them immensely. And this truly is the consequences of faith. It's receiving that which God has for you in his time. Abraham didn't see his seed be multiplied as the stars of the sky. But they were, and they would be. He was not able to see all the promises of the, of the covenant. But one day he will. But he kept looking forward to his reward. That's because of the contemplation of faith. That's the last point. It says in verse 10, by faith, even Sarah herself. I'm sorry, verse uh, 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's the contemplation of faith. He kept looking, kept anticipating, kept meditating on what God said. Now think about this. Remember, Abraham had to keep waiting and waiting and waiting for God to show up and speak. We don't have to do that. He's already spoken. We can open his word every single day, every moment of the day, and read what God has for us. And trust him for that. Believe him for that. Abraham didn't have that. He just had to keep waiting and hold on to what he heard yesterday or the week before or 10 years before. But he had to hold on to it. That's why he was the father of our faith because he held on to it dearly. He listened clearly to what God said and had to hold on to those things. And he did. And then God would show up and speak again and reassure him of his covenant promise. And God would show up again. He's 99 years old, and God says, it's going to happen. It's going to happen as I have planned it to happen. But his whole thinking, the whole contemplation of faith, is to be able to see the things which are not before you, but the things that are truly above you. That's what Abraham did. There's a city whose builder and architect is God. Abraham wasn't looking for something made in China or made in the U.S. of A. He was looking for something that was particularly made of God, a particular city of God. Because we can't make what God makes, can we? He saw Revelation 22. The beauty of the new Jerusalem, the beauty of the city of, of, of glory. He kept looking toward that. Now think about it, that's, that's all he had to look forward to was this great city of God that he was going to build, that he would one day indwell and live in. That was his motivation, that was his contemplation, that was his enthusiasm, that was his anticipation. That's what caused him to live the life of faith. That's why I said earlier today, unless you celebrate correctly Christmas, you will not anticipate continuously the coming of the Christ child. 
the coming of Christ again. You won't. We have to live in anticipation of those things. Abraham did. He didn't have the word of God before him. We've become so enamored with the things of the world, so lost in the lure and love and lust of the world that we have a hard time breaking away from it. We have to keep our attention focused above, contemplating the things that are going to come through the arrival of our Messiah again. So here was Abraham. Wasn't enamored with the cities around him. Lot was his nephew. He was enamored with Sodom and Gomorrah, wasn't he? He wanted to live in that city. He did. He loved that city so much he could not depart. And so God destroyed that city, spared Lot. Spared Lot. He did because God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. But remember, Lot's soul was troubled the whole time he lived in Sodom. His soul was tormented, Peter tells us, day and night because he was in a place he shouldn't be. He knew that. He loved Sodom. His wife loved Sodom. Abraham did not. There was no city that could draw him away from the city of God. There wasn't anything on earth that became more valuable to him than the Lord God of Israel. And that's the way it should be for us. The contemplation of faith truly believes in what God has said. Even though we don't see it, we believe in it. What did Jesus say? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then what does he say? For in my Father's house are many mansions. And I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. What was the comfort for the troubled heart of the disciples? Wasn't a new car, a new chariot, a new suit, a new house. It wasn't even freedom from persecution. It was, I'm going to prepare a house, a mansion, a dwelling place. I am the master architect. I'm designing it specifically for you. And if I go away, and I prepare that for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And that was the highlight of the disciples' motivation. That's what they would contemplate day and night as they went through the book of Acts, suffering persecution, difficulty, and hardship. That house that was prepared for them in glory was their motivation. What's your motivation? What do you live for today? The men and, and women of faith, and he was 11, always anticipated the city whose builder and maker was God. This Christmas, as you begin to think about the coming of the Christ child, I want you to anticipate his second coming. When he comes and takes us home to be with him, that we will dwell with him forever. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for today and all that you give us. The truth of your word is enormous. And I pray, Father, that we, like Abraham, would learn to submit to all that you say and separate our lives from this world, that we would be consumed only with the Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you for our time together. May you be honored in and through us this week as we go to work and go to play, whatever we do, that others will see Christ in us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.